When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Philly's Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne. I'm joined by John Brazier, our director of fun and games here at the Phillies. And, John, we've been on a roll. We, we've had some great guests uh, this year. It's been awesome. Uh, and and today, it, it's we're even both more geeked up, I think, because we are such fans of this gentleman uh, that, you know, we've listened to him, you know, for all our lives. Uh, he's given us so much excitement over the years and so we're really fired up to to interview uh, the voice of the eagles but it then did dawn on me uh, we're also interviewing like one of your bosses right, yes John? meryl reese is my boss hey meryl how are you <laughs> well, you know i thought tom was going to say we we're, we're on a roll we've had some great guests so today we're going to lower our stance. Oh, Meryl, come on. <laughs> but Meryl Reese is my boss because Meryl Reese is obviously the general manager, owner of WBCB, and I do the radio show with Tommy Green. I've been doing that for a long time and Ricky Metallic in the beginning. So uh, thank you, Meryl. No, we're, I, just, we're just fortunate to have you as a part of the station. That's all. Well, I appreciate there, that. There are no bosses here. We all work together. <laughs> That's why you got into broadcasting, right, Meryl? You didn't want to be somebody's boss. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Merle, um, look, I mean, we have been interviewing, uh, we've been doing this podcast for three years now, and I think what gets John and I the most excited, because uh, it's kind of our life a little bit too, is uh, we love when we interview uh, guys who are from Philly and who love Philadelphia sports and kind of living their dream. And I think you kind of epitomize that. Uh, you grew up in the area. You always wanted, I think, uh, you know, wanted to get into uh, broadcasting uh, at, some, at some point. But do you remember even some of your earliest memories listening to sports on the radio? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Now, you say uh, I grew up wanting to be a broadcaster. Uh, no, I grew up wanting to be a quarterback, <laughs> but 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 uh, five feet eight and one hundred and forty pounds was not going to take me so far. So then I then I figured, well, I'd try the the tennis circuit. But uh, you know, I I played a lot of tennis, a lot of sports growing up, but uh, at uh, to to a limited degree. And I had some success playing tennis tournaments, but nothing on a nothing on a world class level. Well, Meryl, also, uh, you had a very interesting childhood in the sense that I didn't know this until I read your book, uh, It's Good, which is a fantastic book that you wrote with Mark Eckel. Um, I didn't know you were a child actor. So and not only a child actor, but uh, you were in an Academy Award winning film, uh, right? <laughs> and, and, you got to meet yeah. a, and you got to meet some very interesting characters like Jimmy Stewart. That's true. That's true. The greatest show that uh, the, the, the greatest show on earth. A movie produced by Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, I had a mother, uh, 
wonderful, wonderful parents I had. But my my mother had that. She was a kindergarten teacher, and she also had that show business flair. She had a dancing school when she was going through college, and so there there was some show business in her veins. Uh, and also, she was a, a wonderful ice skater. So anyhow, but my sister and I were taken around for lessons, dramatic lessons, dancing lessons, all of that stuff. And then we became a, I became uh, connected. She connected me with an advertising agency called Alpha Lesson at the time, and I would get called and go in and do commercials. There was a show in Philadelphia every Friday night uh, on Channel Three called Six Gun Cinema. And the uh, the host of that show, who did the commercials that they showed Western movies, was a guy by the name of Pete Boyle. Uh, his name was Chuck Wagon Pete. They called him Chuck Wagon Pete. And uh, probably two or three times a month on Friday nights, I was called in to do some of the Sylvan Seal milk commercials. So I did a lot of that. And I did peanut butter commercials, and I did Ranger Joe cereal. I did a whole bunch of those things then. But the movie that you're talking about... One summer, the greatest show on earth uh, was uh, filmed around the Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus, and they were doing some circus scenes at Lighthouse Field uh, in the North Philadelphia area. And uh, I was brought in as basically an extra. I mean, I didn't have any any major roles in anything like that, but I would come in every morning and do certain things, walk past a certain person, sit a certain place in the crowd. Uh, help a clown, and we were there. Uh, we were there for the better part of two weeks, and every day uh, they would have these big redwood picnic tables up, and they would have lunch for everybody. And I never went any place without my baseball glove, so I always brought a ball and glove. And I used to have a catch every day after lunch. And on the last day, my mother came to pick me up, and I was having my catch, and my mother said to me do you know who you were having a catch with? And I said, no, he's my friend. He plays a clown, and we have a catch every day after lunch. She said, that's Jimmy Stewart. And uh, that that was amazing. I, I mean, I didn't know Jimmy Stewart from Stuart Granger in those days. You know, I was, I was a little kid, but it was, it was Jimmy Stewart, indeed, who had a major role. He played a doctor in that movie who had euthanized his wife, and he was hiding from the police. And he never took his mask off. Hmm. So it, it was a, a, if you ever have a chance to see it, the greatest show on earth. Yeah, and, and those commercials you were talking about earlier, those are live commercials, right? They're not taped commercials. Those are live. No, so. they, were, they were all live. Right. They were all live. So that's a lot yeah. of pressure right there, especially as a child actor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, everybody was so nice to me, and I, and I never felt pressure doing those things. I just, well, I mean, we, the, the thing is you did have, you did have some mishaps. Um, there was one, there was a show every Sunday morning called Ranger Joe, uh, the same name as the serial at that time. And, uh, the, the, um, character, the main character whose name was Ranger Joe was played by a guy by the name, a Western actor named Jesse Rogers. And I did the commercials. So, uh, the off the, off the mic, off the, off the set voice said, Johnny comes home from school. And you see me open the door in the set and walk into the, the kitchen. And what does Johnny want? He wants a great snack with some of those Ranger Joes. And I put the little stool, pulled over the little step stool, and I climbed up the step stool, and I reached into the cabinet, 
and I pulled out the Ranger Joes. And he said, and Johnny digs in for some of those great Ranger Joes. Well, unfortunately, uh, nobody had ever opened the bag. And it was one of the one of those cellophane bags, like a potato chip bag. You ever ever, ever grab a potato chip bag yep. or a popcorn bag and you, you try to pull it apart? And it explodes. So right? I, I tried to pull it apart. I couldn't pull it apart. And fi- finally, I, I got very inventive. I grabbed it in my teeth, <laughs> and I, I tore it open with my teeth, and Ranger Joe started tumbling out and pouring out all over the set, and the poor offset announcer started to break up, and then we faded to black. <laughs> right? Live TV? Live right TV. There. You never know. Live, it, live TV. And then, Meryl, I know, what, you know you went to Temple University. Um, you worked for... WRTI AM and FM, and I think your first your first broadcast was actually a baseball game, right? A Temple Villanova baseball game. It was. It was. Um, they. Um, the, I, it was my second semester freshman year in the spring, and I had been on the station trying so hard to get any sports uh, to do, and uh, finally the, the sports director, who became a, a lifelong friend and is still a great friend of mine, Tom Cardella. We, who we had doing pre and post game Eagles shows for a long time, uh, and now does a show on WBCB. But uh, Tom sent me out to Villanova to do the uh, to do a Villanova baseball game, Temple Villanova baseball game. There was only one problem: there was no there was no power at the field, so we had to take three long rolls of extension cords and and line it all the way down the right field line to an equipment shack that had a, an outlet. And then we plugged in the equipment. The problem was every now and then a dog or somebody would, would pull on the cord or somebody would step on the cord and we'd go off the air. And we'd have to go search for for which which extension cord was separated. <laughs> right. And uh, but and I'll never forget the first thing I ever did. Uh, Temple had a pitcher at the time who actually ended up in the major leagues for a, a while by the name of Don Flynn. And the first thing I ever said on the air, I was so nervous as I said, we're getting ready for today's game. I see Don Mounds warming up on the flint. <laughs> and 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 I thought, oh, now what am I going to do next? But, right. but I, I, I did manage to get the game in and get another assignment after that. So you're a little nervous, Merrill, but you must have thought, I mean, it must have, you must have been so excited to be actually calling a game. I mean, I uh, was. You know, I just can't imagine how, uh, you know, it's funny, John uh, for WCB uh, uh, does a spring training game. Get those game. call letters right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, WBCB. Uh, but he does a game uh, for spring training. Yeah, we, we bring down WBCB clients. And, yeah, so I remember when Lee Alexander asked me to do play-by-play, I looked at him and said, well, yeah, yeah. I've never done that before. Yeah, but, but and John's had me on to do an inning or two. And, Merle, just we're living out our dream when we get a chance mm-hmm. to do a game. And here, that was your first, you know, your first game, and I think it's pretty cool. It's a baseball game. Well, you know, well, can I tell you? Can I tell you a, a secret? And, and it's a secret that I will readily admit. Um, I'm in my 45th season doing the Eagles play-by-play, and I wake up every game day nervous. I mean, I can feel the the, the bass drum pounding in my chest, and um, when. We have a home game. Of course, this year we're home for all the games. We're doing them virtually when they're on the road. 
So, but when, but for before I leave for the stadium, Cindy, my wife, makes me a great big stack of pancakes because when I get to the stadium, I cannot look at food, hmm. and I feel that tension and I feel that nervousness and I hmm. feel that it grow and intensify until the point where I go on the air and our producer Joe McPeak, you know, says stand by. And then cues me, and then as I come on with the game, it's a beautiful day here in Lincoln Fan, or whatever I'm going to say. Right. It all goes away, and it, it just totally dissipates. And I feel as if I am floating, as if I'm in a zone for the next three and a half or four hours. And that's, that's a great feeling to have. And it's, it's, it's something I would never try to eradicate it's just because it means so much to me. And I'll bet you if you ask the most veteran quarterback, if you were to go to Aaron Rodgers or you were to go to Russell Wilson or one of those guys, or you were to ask a a baseball pitcher going out on the mound, they feel that same nervousness, whether they've been in the the major leagues or the NFL for two months or, or 15 years. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now, Meryl, too, I know when you get a dream job, sometimes you need breaks. You need, like, a little stroke of luck, but also you need to take advantage of it. Um, you were doing a pregame, postgame for the Eagles. You were also doing a uh, a show with the Ed, Ed Kayat. Is that his last – do I say his last Yeah, Ed Kayat was the Eagles head coach. Right, and then he, then he uh, was let go and was assistant coach for the Lions. You had dinner with him because you stayed friends with him, and that actually mm-hmm. – that, that was very fortuitous because – uh, it ended up Charlie Swift, who was a color analyst at the time, was sick, and then uh, well, Dean, not, Dean... no, no, no. Charlie was doing the play-by-play. Oh, play-by-play. Play, okay. Play-by-play was it was a former Eagle uh, fullback by the name of Al Pollard. Al Pollard, right? Okay, right, right. So, uh, as as you just to, to recapitulate the story, uh, I had done the Ed Kayat show for a year. The first year I was at WIP, uh, primarily as a uh, a summer replacement for Charlie Swift, and then. Uh, I got the pre and post game show and the um, and and then the Ed Kyatt show, the coaches show. So I did the coaches show with Ed Kyatt every week for uh, for that year, and then he got fired at the end. But we became very very friendly, and even after he left, I would I would chat with him. I'd call him maybe once a month, and we talk. And um, four years later, um, he came into town and he gave me a call. The Eagles were playing the Lions the next day uh, at Veterans Stadium. And keep in mind, I never went to the stadium. I did all of the pre- and post-game shows from Lincoln, from, uh, from the WIP studios. So I, um, I'm, I'm sitting home in an afternoon, and I get a phone call from Ed Kyatt. He called me and he said, listen, he said, uh, we're, and he was the defensive line coach of the Lions. We're over at the Marriott. Why don't you come over and join me for dinner? And I said, great, I'd love to. So I, I went over and we sat down and we had dinner at the Marriott. We must have talked for about two hours. And uh, he's telling me all about the Lions and this and that. And I, I'm thinking to myself, wonderful. I know all about the Detroit Lions. They know as much about the Lions as I know about the Eagles. 
except that I'll never have a chance to use any of this great information because I'm in the studio doing pre- and post-game Eagles shows. So the next morning, I'm getting set to go to WIP, and Dean Tyler, who was the program director of WIP, called me, and he said, listen, Al Pollard is sick. Go directly to the stadium. You're doing the color. And uh, I went to the stadium and sat down next to Charlie Swift, and certainly I'm, I'm scared to death. And Dean comes up to me. Now, Dean always liked my voice, and that was basically why he hired me, but he didn't know what I knew or anything. And he, he turned to me right before kickoff, and he said to me, listen, he said, are, are you okay? Uh, are, are you, you're all prepared? You know everything? And I said, yeah. And I turned to him, and I said to him, but let me go over this with you first, Dean. A field goal is three. <laughs> and he started, he said, right. oh, my God. Goodness, what did I do? <laughs> but but I came on with Charlie, and after the the uh, opening jitters, and we got into the game. Uh, I think I surprised everybody because I was an expert on the Detroit <laughs> on the Lions. Detroit the Lions, Lions. Yeah. right, right. And then you took the job because Charlie Swift passed away that next year, and then that's when you became well. Really the, the next year, because the next year, Al. Well, actually, it was two years later. Uh, Al Pollard, the following year, I came back and did. The pre and post game shows again, thinking that's where my life's work was going to end up. And and finally, uh, the following year, Al Power retired, and they put me in the booth as the color man. And then, with two games to go in the 1977 season, uh, uh, Tuesday before the game against the Giants, uh, tragically, Charlie Swift took his own life. And uh, I was at WWDB at the time doing. Uh, morning sports with Win Moore and Jack O'Reilly, a couple of Philadelphia characters. And when the switchboard opened at nine o'clock, it was WIP and Dean Tyler saying, "Listen, you're doing the play-by-play on Sunday. Go and get a color analyst." And um, when WWDB uh, was a uh, FM station out in Dalloway Park, and they were co- they were co-owned uh, by WHAT which was a rhythm and blues station. And a lot of the athletes used to come into the station to talk to the WHAT personalities. And one of them, who I became very friendly with because he came in so often during his off-seasons, was a native Philadelphian who was a great, great Green Bay Packer and ended his career with the Dallas Cowboys, Herb Adderley, one of the great defensive backs in history. And Herb and I became very good friends and I called him that morning, and I said, Herb, you're doing the color on the Eagles game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that's how that all came about. Well, and you also used to hang out with Dick Allen, too, right, in that studio? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Dick Allen came in, and uh, he, he would come in to visit T- Sonny Hobson, who was known as the Mighty Burner. And uh, we became great friends. And I was in when he uh, was AWOL from the Phillies, he would call me and we would talk and, uh, and and there was even a story in the uh in the evening bulletin one day quoting me as to Dick Allen's whereabouts but mm. uh oh my gosh he was a wonderful wonderful person and uh I kept in touch with him and yeah and then even spoke to him probably about 6 months before he passed away but mm. oh I love Dick Allen and I felt the same way about Herb Adderley two of the the real treasures who came out of the city and, and two Hall of Famers, of one in each sport. 
We're up in the radio booth at Citizens Bank Park right now, Merle, and we're looking out at, uh, you know, number 15. We're so happy that uh, the Phillies uh, retired that number uh, before uh, Dick passed. And hopefully he's going to get in the Hall of well, Fame I, in, I, in I'm only sorry that he, I was only sorry that he didn't get into the Hall of Fame when he was alive yep. to appreciate it and enjoy it. Merle, you talk about, you know, the, uh, the pregame jitters and then, you know, but once the game starts, uh, you know, you're on. Uh, I love that now they're, they're putting a camera in your booth and, 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 and then you get to see the highlights. But as you call them, uh, Merle Cam, I love it. And I think, what it do, <laughs> I, you know, what it does, I think, for the casual fan or the great fans is that it does see, you, you get to see the behind the scenes and, and everything that's going on in the booth. It's, it's quite remarkable how, you know, you got to keep your composure, but you're also, are, you know, uh, getting information uh, from every side. And do, do you enjoy the fact that they have a camera on, and, uh, on you now? I pay no attention to it okay. at all. To be to be absolutely honest uh, with you, mm. I mean it's it's fun when you see some of those things back, but but once I, I, I am it's it's a it's a camera that's mounted on a on a some piece of a of a metal pipe and it points directly at me and Mike and I and they it's put on remotely from somewhere at the uh, Novacare Center and I play, I pay no attention to it at all. Well, as a fan, Never aware of it. as a fan, it's great to, to see. And I have to kind of fast forward to Super Bowl, uh, the Super Bowl game. And, you know, it, it, there, there is so much excitement. I think it's hilarious that you start out sitting, but, you know, midway through the game, you're so excited you're standing, you know, and, and you can just see the excitement and hear the excitement building. But also I noticed on the Philly special play, on the Philly special play, you were using binoculars uh, for that play, whereas, you know, in some of these other clips that they show of you, 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 you know, you're not using binoculars to watch the play. Uh, do you use binoculars much when you're calling a game? You know, it's 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 really interesting that you say that, Tom, because um, the everybody talks about not well. Of course, they talk about the Philly special, but they talk about the favorite moment of all time, which was when I got to call the the clinching moment of the Super Bowl. And um, people say, "Were you nervous before that?" And I said, "Yeah, I was nervous, but I wasn't nervous about whether the Eagles were going to win at that point." Because I honestly didn't think that Tom Brady had the arm strength to throw that Hail Mary into the end zone. I mean, the one who's the master of that is Aaron Rodgers. I didn't, I really didn't think he was going to get it that far. And actually, it didn't reach the end zone. It was in front of the end zone. But what scared me was that we were seated. It was, over the years, our broadcast positions in some of these new stadiums becomes worse and worse. Because they are they're spending the money on these super boxes and all of these fabulous places to put sponsors, and we are the as visiting radio is the the last last regarded person <laughs> right. people in that stadium. So we're in the corner of the opposite end zone. So I was roughly a hundred and ten yards away mm. from where that ball was going to end up. And I just didn't want to be known as the announcer who blew the Super Bowl call. So I, I, so at a time like that, I put on the binoculars. Or if there's there's a fumble, or if there's something at a, you know, where I'm pretty sure that it's going to be a running play on a goal line situation, then I might use the binoculars because you really can't use the binoculars uh, in a, on a pass play. 
because you can lose the ball. So except on something like that last deal where you knew where it was going to come down. So I did put on the binoculars there then. And the funny thing is, as Brady stumbled forward and loaded up and threw the ball, it was almost like one of these, you've seen them a million times on NFL films, where they show you that slow motion view of everything happening and it's slow motion and it slows down. I, I can't show you to this day, but that ball, everything in that place slowed down for me. And I could see it with crystal clarity to mm. the point where I saw it deflected and I looked and it hit the ground and I looked up at the clock and saw zeros. And that is when I said it's incomplete. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. And then all I could think about, nothing was written or prepared. All I could think about was to say, Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. But it was, it was, it was almost eerie the way that whole place slowed down. Yeah, and I'm just, as a fan, Merrill, it's so cool to see you, you know, watch that play develop. And then I just, I'm thinking, John, of a guy who's, unfortunately, who, I mean, everybody's watching the Super Bowl, but maybe you're coming home from work and you had to work on that Sunday. And Merrill's got the, you know, it's it's bobbled and you're kind of, I can just see somebody running right. off the side. Tension, right. <laughs> you know, but uh, just just great. And I also thought, Merrill, it was great that, you know, uh, I think the first words Mike Quick said is, there's going to be a parade down Broad Street, you know, and, yep, yep. Uh, you know, it's just a great, great moment. Hey, Merrill, speak- it, it sure was. <laughs> speaking of uh, great moments, uh, you know, Tom and I are the same age, and I remember when we were watching The Miracle of the Meadowlands, um, everyone obviously remembers that game. Um, and Which one? Well, the, <laughs> exactly. the one, number one, with, uh, number one with, with, Herman with Joe Herman. Pisarczyk and, and Herman Edwards, Larry Zonka. Talk about that, uh, that, that play and you calling that play. Hmm. Well, the funny part about that, uh, my color analyst that year was the late Jim Borniak, and uh, we were doing that game, and it, was, it wasn't a very exciting game, and the Eagles were on the way to a disheartening loss, and it was November 19, 1978, and I'm starting to say, let's see what lies ahead for the Eagles. Uh, next week, they'll be playing the Cardinals in St. Louis, and then all of a sudden, I say... And Pazarczyk fumbles the football, and 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 then everything broke loose. <laughs> a, a funny thing connected with that. Uh, I about oh probably probably ten years ago, uh, CBS was doing an Eagles Denver game at the at the link, and Derek Boyko, who was then the Eagles PR director, came in the booth and he said uh, he he gave us our information and he said. Listen, he said, I, I, I'm going to go into the CBS booth right now to see Jim Nance and Bill Sims. And I said, you know what? I said, as, as often as we've been doing games and been in the same stadium, I have never met Jim Nance. He said, oh, well, well come with me. <laughs> so I go into the booth with him and uh, because I think Jim does a wonderful job. And as I walk in, I start walking down the steps, and Jim Nance turns around and says, Merrill, I'm so happy to see you. And, yeah, and nice. I, I'm, I'm shocked. And then he said, will you do me a favor? Just wait. And he picks up the phone, and he calls an associate producer from the truck. And he said, Tom, come up here. I want Merrill to see something. And this, 
that the, the associate producer comes up and he walks into the into the broadcast booth, into the CBS booth, and he says, he says to, to, to him, Tom, do it. And Tom says, under 30 seconds left in the game, and Pazarkic fumbles the football. <laughs> and he goes, hey, and, and he, you know, and it's picked up by Herman. He, I, let me, I could not tell you. <laughs> nice. I could not repeat that call word for That's word if great. you asked me to do it right now. Because I've never thought about it. He did it. He had every word of that call. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. John and I can relate because uh, we walk around here doing Harry Callis impersonations. Well, I also, I also do Merrill. I do Merrill, especially doing the radio show when I hear you're <laughs> doing a commercial. You know, I'll say, Pete. Oh, and boy. <laughs> well, well who, who will ever forget Philadelphia Phillies, world champions of baseball? baseball. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Did you have a relationship with Harry? I'm sure you did. Oh, huh, Merrill? I Oh, my goodness. I had a wonderful relationship with Harry. Um, we spoke quite a bit because you remember that he also did football for Westwood. And whenever it was an Eagles road game, mm. he'd jump on our plane and we'd sit and we'd talk about a million different things. And and many years ago, when, when Harry was first the Phillies announcer, when he came in and Bill Giles brought him in, Bill Giles brought him in from Houston, um, I was at WWDB at the time getting virtually nowhere and I would talk to Harry when I would see him at the stadium and ask him for advice and he was you know very very supportive and very very kind and um, but but here here is something that is um, poignant the I wrote a book called sportscasting turning your passion into a profession uh, at the end of a season I usually feel kind of down a little bit. There's a void in my life. And I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to write this book by myself. The other one, the, it's good. I wrote along with Mark Eckel, where he came to the station with a tape recorder and we talked and then he transcribed it. But this one, I took out a yellow legal pad each day and I wrote a, I wrote a different chapter about broadcasting. And of course, I handled the football chapter. And then I went to Mark Zumoff and interviewed him for the basketball chapter and interviewed Jim Jackson for the uh, for the uh, the Flyers, the hockey chapter, and then I interviewed uh, my my wonderful friend Bill Campbell about the art of interviewing, and uh, I you know I did Dan Baker about public address and Sal Palantonio about being a beat reporter, and of course I called Harry and I said Harry I'm doing this book. Oh, and I did Beasley Reese about TV sports, so I I called Harry and I said could you could I talk to you for a little bit. And uh, I want to talk about baseball broadcasting, and there's nobody better. So he said, sure, come on out uh, to the Newtown Grill. And so I went out to the Newtown Grill, and we sat down for lunch, and I ran a tape recorder. And we just, we just talked for about two hours. And he, he was just amazing talking about his life and about the, 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 what you do as a baseball broadcaster. And I said to him, you're the best at what you do. You're the absolute best. He said, nah. He said, Vin Scully's the best. Mm-hmm. He said, but thank you. But I said, nah, you're the, you know. So, so and then he said to me before we left, he said, you know, he said, I have to tell you something. He said, I'm, I'm uh, going into the doctor on Thursday. He said, I, they told me that I had had two silent heart attacks and I, uh, and I need some stents in my legs uh, to open some arteries. And I said, oh, my God, well, I hope everything's okay. And, um, and we walked out into the parking lot. We we said goodbye, and I thanked him. And then he went down to spring training, and I was relieved that he was 
he was fine. He was back doing Phillies games. And then, of course, the, 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 the horrible event occurred yeah. uh, when he died in Washington. That was just a few weeks after I had last seen him and spent all that time with him. Oh, oh, that's something, Merrill. Uh, you know, you mentioned that book, too. I was going to ask you about that. And just the um, I love the title, Turning Your Passion into a Profession. And John and I have interviewed, I think, uh, yeah, I know Jason Stark, too, and some of the even the names you mentioned, Merrill. And and everybody seems to have that passion. And, you know, when you're a kid and the things that you love, you love sports and uh, to be able to do uh, in life what you kind of were meant to do and something that you love. How, how important is that to maybe the success that you've had over the years? Well, it's, it's, it's very important because you go through a lot. You have doors slammed in your face and you have a lot of times where you want to say, am I ever going to get any place? Um, and uh, you, you just have to find the, the that passion keeps you going, and you you have to call on your support staff and things of that nature. I, I'll tell you something. Uh, many many years ago, um, I was working. I worked in Pottstown when I I was a naval officer. I came out and I worked in Pottstown for a year, and then I came up to WBCB, and I worked here for two years. And of course, this is now the station of which I am managing partner, and um, I. But I was never going to get any place. At that time, I was making the top of their scale, six-day week, $125, and getting no place. So I, somebody told me they were auditioning people at KYW. And they went down to KYW for an audition. And the news director, um, his name was Reggie Late, and he gave me uh, a copy, wire copy, and he said, go back and, and rewrite this, and then we'll put you on tape. And he put me on tape. And I, I felt great because I did this copy without, uh, without one fluff. I mean, I didn't stumble over one word. And now I'm feeling really good. And he calls me into the office and he said, listen, he said, I'm going to do you a big favor. And now I think, oh, my goodness, he's giving me a job on a major market station, KYW. He said, I'm going to tell you to find another way to make a living because you're never going to work mm. in a major market. Mm. Oh. Uh, we're not looking for people that sound like you. Mm. He said, I, I'm, I'm doing you a favor. So I went home. And I, I was still single at the time. And I, I did. I, I went up to my bedroom and I got under the covers and put my head on the pillow and just lied there because I mean, I had just been told basically that everything I had dreamed of, mm. everything I had worked for, four years of college, everything I had thought about was never going to happen to me. And so my mother called me, Meryl, come on down, it's dinner. I said, I'm not eating ever again, <laughs> ever mm. again. So she came up and she said, what is going on? So I told her the story. So you think your, your loving mother is going to say to you, oh, Merrill, don't pay attention to him. You're wonderful. You're great. You're going to be the... Instead, my mother said to me, you know something? He's right. I said, what do you mean he's right? She said, and it's all my fault. I said, what are you talking about? She said, it's my fault because I obviously raised a weakling. But you're going to let one person, Mm -hmm. one person throw you off track and go up and lie down under the covers? I don't care if you stay up here for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And I came charging down, had my dinner, and then the next day I was next pursuing my career dream. 
That's that's great. That is. And you know what, Meryl, too? I'm thinking about all the different owners, players, coaches that you've worked with. I mean, you've got a lot of colorful characters in in all those years. you got Leonard Toes. you got Buddy Ryan. you got Jim McMahon, Mm. Jerome Brown, Randall Cunningham. (laughs) I mean, just, again, people that are just, you know, characters in themselves. Ricky Waters. And who are – this is the last question. Then we've got a real quick quiz, and then we'll let you go. Who is your favorite person to work with, whether it's an owner, player, coach? Well, I can't say a favorite person. I mean, I've worked with wonderful people, um, and I love Sam Borders. He is to this day a great friend, and Mike Quick and I are very close friends, and both of them, Stan had his unique way of doing it, and Mike has his way, and both of them were wonderful, and I'm privileged to share the broadcast booth with both Stan and with Mike. They're both wonderful, close friends, uh, along with being broadcast partners. So uh, and, and they will always be close friends. Yep. I mean, we share each other's family occasions, and Mike and I play golf together all the time. And we are uh, we're great friends. So I'm very very fortunate. Um, as far as all the coaches and owners and everything, I've I've there's been a lot of coaches that I like. The only one that I frankly didn't care for uh, was Chip Kelly because he had no people skills. Mm. Uh, you could say hello to him and he'd turn his head. There was never any warmth. Uh, that you, no matter how hard you tried, uh, and I think you know, he, I'm sure he's a bright man and knows his football, but he, I don't think he communicated well with his players. Or even I had assistant coaches say to me, "Is he angry at me because he's not talking to me?" Hmm. But he just did not have the people skills that I think you need to succeed in any field. Uh, but I've, I've, every other coach has been great to me. Uh, Andy was wonderful. Uh, Doug was a, a joy to work with. Uh, Ray Rhodes was mm. terrific. I had so many funny Ray Rhodes stories. He's the best. It made people talk about Richie Kotite, but he was always nice. Uh, Buddy Ryan. Oh, there's the cat. Who's the most unusual character? We could do a whole other show. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say him, right. Merrill. We, we would do a whole other show about <laughs> Buddy Ryan. But suffice it to say, I loved him and, and thought of him almost as an uncle. I loved Buddy Ryan. But if you want to ask me, my favorite of all time, and I will tell you this, Without any hesitation, he is a coach who, if you look in the encyclopedia or the dictionary under the word charisma, there is a picture of Dick Vermeule. He is the best coach that this city has ever had, in my opinion, in any sport. And he is a wonderful, wonderful person. He is still vibrant, and I am still proud to call him a close friend. Oh, that's uh, quite a list, but uh, Vermeil, uh, one of the best, no doubt about it, Merrill. I got John over here. Uh, J- Merrill, I don't know if you know. We didn't, we didn't give him a warning. Uh, yeah, no warning, but John likes to administer a quiz to our guest, and it's, it's based okay. on your life. Uh, it's a short quiz. What, what do you got, eight questions, Eight questions are quick, and it's multiple choice, and you win something fanatic-related. Tom, what does is, is Merrill yeah, win? I think uh, Merrill should get a plush doll so he can take that to bed and sleep with the little fanatic doll every night. There you well, go. Well, I... We, we have a three-year-old grandson and a three-week-old granddaughter, perfect. so I think maybe they'll have a good time with it. Perfect. Oh, all right. Perfect. Well, Meryl, in that case, all you have to do is get five out of eight right, and then you're going to get that. You're going to get it anyway, but you're going <laughs> to five out of eight just for the sake of this game. And the first question is, again, it's multiple choice, and it's about your life, so you have an inside track on this. Uh, you went to Overbrook High School. Which of these celebrities did not go to Overbrook? So three of these went to Overbrook High School. One did not. Which one did not? Wilt Chamberlain. Actor-rapper Will Smith, uh, comedian Buddy Hackett, and Len Barry, lead singer for the Dovells. So is it Will Chamberlain? Lenny Borsoff. 
That, that was Lenny Borsoff, by the way. Oh. And, and the one is Buddy Hackett didn't go to Overbrook. Buddy Hackett. Buddy Hackett. Lenny Borsoff. I don't see. I always screw up one question. Yeah, John always screws <laughs> up at least one Wikipedia, question. Wikipedia, don't trust that. All right. You also went to Temple University. No, of course he was known as, he was known as Len Barry. That was his oh. name. You were right. You okay. weren't wrong, but his real name was Lenny Borsoff. Well, don't tell me he's right, Merrill. <laughs> Thank you, Merrill. All right, you went to Temple University. Which of these celebrities did not go to Temple? Okay, again, three went to Temple, one did not. Actor-comedian Bob Saget, uh, Match Game 76 contestant Orson Bean, singer John Oates from Hall & Oates, and actor Tom Sizemore. So is it Bob Saget, Orson Bean, John Oates, or Tom Sizemore? Boy, I would have to guess Tom Sizemore. No, actually, it was Orson Bean. Orson Bean. Orson, Orson Bean. Bean. I don't even know who <laughs> Orson Bean is. He was on Match Game 76. Come on, everyone. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, this will get easier. You announced for the Philadelphia Freedom tennis team in 1974. Yeah. It was owned by I Billie did. Jean King. Which of these tennis players was not on that team? Okay. A is Vetus Gariolaitis. B is Fred Stoll. C is Julie Andrews. Uh, that was Fred Stolle, by the Stolle. way. Stolle. Sorry, <laughs> Stolle. Would you have gotten that one, Tom? Stolle? No. I All right. Julie Anthony or Buster Matram? Well, the Buster, I, we, we played a lot of tennis together. The one who was not on the team was Vetus Carolina. Vetus Carolina is very good. All right. You're on a roll. Yeah, we talked about you were an extra in Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth that won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Which actor slash actress was not in this film? Was not in this film? A is Cornell Wilde. B is Betty Hutton, C is Charleston Heston, and D is Jim Neighbors. Which one was not? <laughs> Gummer Pyle was Gummer not in that Pyle film. Gummer Pyle was not in there. Charlton Heston was in that movie? Yes, he was. Yes, wow. he was. Oh, yeah. Holy Moses. All right. We also know that you are a big golfer. I've golfed with you before. Uh, which club in the tri-state area is hosting the BMW Championship next year. It's actually next August, 17th to the 20th in 2022. Is that Aronimink? Is that Wilmington Country Club, Manufacturers Golf and Country Club, or Marion? The BMW Championship, it's not at Marion. It has been at Aronimink. Um, is it going back to Aronimink? I'll say Aronimink. It is actually at Wilmington Country Club. It's so Wilmington. Wow. Mark that, mark that on your calendar. All right, you still have room for error, so you're good to go. Marion has the Curtis Cup next year, by and, the way. And Aronimink has the P, uh, PGA, PGA in 2026. Yeah. All right, and, and I belong to manufacturers, so I had to give a little gratuitous little plug, plug for that. little plug. All right, number six is what is Mike Quick's middle name? Anthony. Anthony. Bang. So you got that right away. All right. You were also, I know you're a big dog fan. Uh, which breed has won the most Best in Show awards at the Westminster Dog Show? Is it A, Terriers, B, Golden Retrievers, C, French Bulldogs, or D, Pembroke Welsh Corgis? I think it would be Terriers. Terriers is correct. They've won it 34 times. In fact, the Wire Fox Terrier mm -hmm. has won it 12 wins, so it has 12 wins. Yes. All right, yes. you were on a roll. I think you actually qualified, but we're going to ask you the last question anyway. Reggie White is the all-time sacks leader for the Eagles with 124. Who has the second most sacks on or as an Eagle? Is it A, Fletcher Cox, B, Clyde Simmons, C, Brandon Graham, or D, Trent Cole? Trent Cole. Bang, Trent Cole is yes. correct, and Merrill went six for eight. Wow. And he wins for his, grand, or his grandson, right? 
Grandson or granddaughter or, or granddaughter. Both. <laughs> I think we might both have... send two dolls out, I think. John. And some autograph books. You send books. two dolls out. Yes. You, you send two dolls out, and, and, and we'll be thrilled. I won't, I won't get into trouble. <laughs> and autograph books, too. We're going to send that out yeah, there we'll, as well. put a care package together, Merrill. Merrill, thank, thank you so much. Uh, really a thrill for John and I to talk to you. Uh, great uh, memories. It's, it's and... a treat for me to speak to you guys, and I had a lot of fun. All right. Really appreciate it, Merrill. Thanks, Take Merrill. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. The great Merle Reese, John. You know, is it me or was it, was that the most excited we've gotten to to interview somebody? We, well, it's we great because we are both excited. we're both obviously grew up in Philadelphia. Right. We're we're all four of, of the teens. We're yes. big fans. But the Eagles, it's just they. You know, it's, as a kid, I just and Merrell Reese is a part yeah. of your life. Just like we, I said this earlier, we imitate Harry Callis yes. every day. Yes. Right? Yes, Video Dan was in the other day. Vintage. And uh, Merrill Reese, same thing. It's P and C. Merrill Reese. Yeah, John, I didn't know. You really you got him down. <laughs> well, he's, uh, you know, again, I've heard his commercials a lot of times. And, you know, Ricky Metallica does a good uh, Merrill Reese. Everyone does a great Merrill Reese. Everybody does right? a great Merrill Reese. But I don't know what it is, though. It's, you know, because Merrill's on the radio. So it's not like, you know, Harry, you know, of course it's 162 games. You know, we have our baseball announcers. Uh, and also they're on TV, so we hear them more. Merle, you know, is on radio. I think I remember, I don't know, on the weekends in the car with my brothers or my dad, we're going to a, a high school football game, and we'd have Merle on. If it was on a Sunday, right. you know, hey, you're going to the football game, but it's like, ah, oh, you want to listen to the Eagles. And I don't know, I think that's when I first started really appreciating Merle. And uh, it, it's and, just, and he's a fan too, because you can yes, tell. Because when yes. you're listening to the games, he's exactly. upset, right? And and yes. you hear his being upset at the game, and he doesn't mince words. Doesn't mince words. And I love too when he gets excited. You know, it, his voice gets higher. He goes, <laughs> yeah. He's at the forty. He's at the thirty. He's at the twenty. He's at the ten. <laughs> right? It just keeps going up, which is I love it. It's exactly right. And you're right. He doesn't mince words, and I think that's that authenticity that yep. we look for in broadcasters too. You know, exactly and right. They're, they're Philly guys, and hey, they're not gonna you know tell us something you know that's not actually happening on the field. So, and they get disappointed when we get disappointed. And obviously, like I said, folks, if you haven't, and John, if you, you haven't seen the Merle cam from, I, I've got to, oh, I've got to check it out. I mean, they're, they're doing a lot of them now, but the one from the Super Bowl, it's five minutes long. It's on YouTube. You have to see it. It's just the greatest thing in the world. It is funny. Cause he starts, cause now I think he stands for most of the games, but everything's calm, cool and collected when the video first starts. And then by the end, you know, they're all jumping around and I don't know you would maybe recognize, maybe it was somebody from the radio station uh, who, who was videotaping the whole mm. time. So uh, I don't know. It, it's just great. You got you to gotta watch it. But Merle, Merle's the greatest. That was a lot of fun. Yep, a lot, lot of fun. fun. And uh, we have some good guests lined up, which will, of course, be a secret. But uh, you're going to like the next one. All right. It'll, it's a secret to me. Too. Secret to you. <laughs> yes. No, it might be a secret to me. Yeah, yeah. We, we have no idea. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Another uh, great episode of Phillies Backstage. Well, you've got to end it like Merrill Reese. This game is over. Uh, I don't know. How's the end of the uh, broadcast? I don't know. <laughs> I can't, you know. Good night, good sports. That was Bill Campbell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. But uh, Merle, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how he signs off. We'll pretend like our show is sponsored by P and C. Well, with that, that's that's pretty. Uh, actually, we're in Citizens Bank Park, I know. John. Citizens Bank Park, right. You, you can't say that. Head. You're exactly right. <laughs> Sorry, you only said PNC well, like forty-seven well, times. Well, that's on our because podcast. you know when you when you hear <laughs> Lou Nolan, and we never even asked Lou about the, the Pico, Pico power, power play, play right? Yeah. We never asked him that. Yes. Well, next next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time on Phillies Backstage.
tax day.